Well, amen. That, uh, I just want to let the choir know that that's probably the best they've sounded this year. <laughs> and thank God for a new year, right? I mean, here we are. Uh, I invite you this morning to gather around the Word of God. Um, we've been in Matthew for a long season now. It's been a good long season, and it, it's been fruitful. And one of the reasons we've loved being in Matthew so much is because the gospel reveals to us Christ, and we, we get to just kind of sit and be with with Christ. And uh, Matthew show, shows us Jesus as, as king. Matthew shows us Jesus as Messiah. We see the, the compassion of, of Jesus. And one of the things we, we get to see, especially now in this latter portion of, of Matthew, is we really get to watch and observe how Jesus disciples the twelve. And we get to apply those teachings to our own lives. We, kind of, we, we see what he says to them, and, and most of the time that's, that's pretty applicable to us. Now, now, let me give you a preview of what Jesus is going to teach the disciples in our text today, right? Jesus is going to give the, the disciples a lesson on how to respond to authorities in our life. Let me say that again. How, how to respond to authorities in our lives. We're, we're all uh, under different authorities, aren't we? Um, you know, when we're born, we are under the authority of our parents. Like when you go to school, you're automatically under the authority of your teachers and maybe your principal. You, you get a job and, and you're under the authority of a supervisor. You get in a car, you start driving around, you're under the authority of, of the police. If you live in America, you're under the, the authority of the government. If, you, if you're a member of a church, um, you may not like this language, but, but it's really classical church language. You're under the authority of the leadership. You're under the authority of the elders. If you live in a neighborhood, maybe you're under the authority of a, a homeowners association. Now, now, not all authorities are righteous. I think we can agree with that. Like, it's possible to be under bad authority, right? We've all suffered bad authority. We've had a bad boss or an unjust law. And so let me give you an example of one scenario of how a Christian might respond to an authority that they don't like. Like, you don't like this authority, you're a Christian, and you, you might say to yourself, I'm not going to be under your authority. The only authority that I have in my life is King Jesus, right? And, and I think people act that way sometimes. I've, you know, I've heard of different cultures at different times. They might say, I don't, I don't care what the U.S. government says. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm not going to pay my taxes because our government funds wars, and, and they fund immoral causes, do you see how that works? How, um, how some Christians will exclude themselves from earthly authorities in their lives, saying that the only authority that they have to answer to is, is Jesus. All right, so here's my question. Is that a biblical response? Now, I'm playing my hand early. I don't think that it is. And I think today's text is one of many examples uh, that we can find in Scripture where, where, where Christians are called to submit themselves to the authority of their world. And so uh, we're going to go ahead and read this text together this morning. Um, it is our tradition, uh, and it may, if you're visiting with us, it may seem like we stand and sit a lot. We, we try to make sure that we get physical therapy to all of our members, uh, get, you, get you feeling good. But we, we stand in reverence of the Word of God read. So if you wouldn't mind staying with me, we're going to read together Matthew 17. It's a short little section, verses 22 through 27. And uh, before we read together, let's take a moment and, and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you that you reveal to us your son by your word. 
We, we thank you that we can come to your word and find truth. We, find, we thank you that we can stand upon it and that it never changes and is always there for us. So as we come to your word today, quicken our hearts that we might understand it properly. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all the church said, amen. Uh, Matthew 17, beginning in verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toil or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and, and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Right, please be seated. Our, our reading this morning begins with, with Jesus, and he's telling his disciples once again, and, and if you've been here for the last month or two, you've seen this several times now. He's, he's telling them again that he's going to be killed and that he's going to be raised on the third day. Look at verses 22 and 23. We'll just read that together this morning. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to, to them, to the disciples, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he'll be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. The disciples, they, they continue to be greatly distressed every time they hear this, uh, every, every time Jesus talks about his death and resurrection, and they seem to miss the part about the resurrection. Uh, I was thinking about that part when, when Jesus raises Lazarus, and he goes, and Martha's there, and, and he's having this conversation with, 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 with Martha, Jesus is with Martha, and, and she says, you know, Lord, if you were just here, you wouldn't die, and, and Jesus tells her, you know, your, your brother will be resurrected. She goes, I know he'll be resurrected in the last day. I, I wonder if this is not what the disciples are hearing, if they're not just kind of missing the, the in three days part, and when they hear Jesus talk about resurrection, if they're thinking about something at the end of days. At this point in our story, Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. Remember, we've talked about this a lot. He comes down from the mountain after the transfiguration, and, and Jesus sets his gaze upon Jerusalem and the cross. He's very clear on where he's going. At this point, for the rest of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is marching towards death. He's going to, to suffer, to die, to be resurrected. And last week, when Jim was exegeting texts and preaching for us. He talked about a, a boy with a demon, but, but, but all that story's got to be seen in the light of Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. And this week, you kind of have to read this, is Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. Everything from here on out is he's, he's heading that direction. So, so look at verse 24. That's what it says. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? Okay, here we go. Jesus and his disciples are traveling to, going to Jerusalem, and they decide to go through Capernaum. And this, this really would make a lot of sense, um, because this, if you remember, this is where Peter's home is. 
And, and this gives the disciples and Jesus a, a, a chance to, to rest and eat and refuel. It gives them a home base for a couple of days. And if you remember, Jesus was in Capernaum for a large part of his public ministry. This was kind of the base of operations for them there. And they were able to kind of stay in, in, in Peter's house. And, and he and his disciples would be no strangers as they enter town. Everyone in Capernaum would know the work of Jesus. Maybe there was no place where he did more mighty works than Capernaum. Another observation I just want you to be aware of is that, and we've said this before, but every time that Jesus seems to arrive in a Jewish region, he's, he's kind of jumping back and forth for a while off the Sea of Galilee, and every time he comes into a Jewish region, he faces the criticism of the establishment, and it, and it was kind of growing. There's always someone there in the story to ask him questions or to challenge him, and, and he is, he, he's left the, the Jewish territory for a while. Well, he's back now. And in verse 24, as, as they, back, and they come back and they arrive in Capernaum, it says that the collectors of the two drachma tax approach Peter. Now, they don't approach Jesus. They approach Peter. And the question they ask is, does Jesus pay his taxes? Uh, some have suggested by the context here, like you're trying to figure out the story here, that, that Jesus and the other disciples maybe have already gone to Peter's house and they're, they're in the home and that maybe Peter has gone by himself out to get supplies, maybe something to eat. And, and the Jewish tax collectors approached Peter at this time. He's alone. Jesus is back in the house. And, and this tax in particular is interesting. It's actually not a, a, a tax from the Roman government. It's actually a tax from the Jews, right? And it was established in Scripture. It was established in the book of Exodus in the 30th chapter, uh, verses 14 through 16. Let's look at that together. It says this. This is the Lord speaking to Moses, right? Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. All right, so allow me to summarize, right? A lot going on there. Um, the Lord instructs Moses to count up everybody. We're, good, we're taking a census. And everyone who's 20 years old or older is to give a half shekel uh, you know, a coin there, atonement offering, which is to be used for what? Do you remember what it said? For the, the tent of meeting. So it's, it's to be used specifically for a purpose, the tent of meeting. And this is, remember, this is back before the Israelites were in the promised land. This is back before the temple was built. And, and they had the tent of meeting, which we sometimes call the tabernacle. And the idea was that every year, every Jew would give just half a shekel, right? And, and, that was an offering specifically for the tabernacle. And, and what I need you to know is there's a lot of different offerings. This isn't, this isn't um, their tithes or their offerings. This is just one of the different offerings they had. Now, over time, what had happened was that, that God's people had, had, had settled in the promised land. They had built a, a temple instead of the tabernacle. So at this time in history, they're using that, that tax to, to service the temple. And, and the Jewish shekel which was talked about in, in Exodus there, it seems to have been replaced by a Greek coin called a drachma. Now, if we're going to exchange here, half a shekel is, is basically equivalent to two drachmas. And so, uh, again, I'll summarize. The Jews in this day of Jesus right here, they were taxed two drachmas a year, okay, by the Jewish leadership 
for the sole reason of, here it is, taking care of the temple. And once again, this has nothing to do with tithes and offerings. This is an addition to that. And, and, and really, what's interesting is this is not a voluntary tax. This, they're going to get this from you. They, they, they're going to dock your paycheck if they must. In, in every Jewish province, they would set up booths. They were like tax collectors there, and, and like the one in our story. And so the question they asked Peter is, and they, they catch him walking down the road, is does your teacher pay the, the temple tax? Look, look what he responds. Verse 25. Uh, Peter says, yes, which I think is funny, like, um, it's less than clear to me kind of what he means by that. But he says, he says, yes. And when he came to the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toil or tax? From the, the sons or from others? So, so here's what happens. Um, they ask Peter if Jesus pays his temple tax. Peter says, yes. Uh, but, but Jesus isn't there. Right? Peter's alone. And uh, Jesus is back at the house. And, and when Peter returns home, before Peter gets a chance to explain to Jesus this whole event of what happened, it says that Jesus speaks first. That's what Jesus says to him. He says, uh, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of earth take their taxes? Jesus wasn't even there, and he's, he's displaying his divinity. His, he miraculously knows about this encounter, and he has questions for Peter. Do kings tax their sons or do kings take their taxes from others, right? And it's a pretty simple illustration if you stop and think about it. Kings ruled empires. And they would tax people and for, for really two main reasons, right? First, they, they used the taxes that they got to maintain the empire. They would use them for roads and for, for schools and for military. And the second thing that the kings taxed people for was for the sake of the king and his family, right? That's how the, the, the king provided wealth for his family. He, he taxed his people and he gave it to his children at times. Now the question is this. Does the king go into his son's bedroom and require his son to open up his own wallet and pay a tax? And the answer, of course, is no. The, the, the son does not pay the son benefits from the tax. He doesn't pay the tax. And this is the very point that Jesus is making. So look at verse 26. And when he said, from others, this is Peter, Jesus responds to him and says, then the sons are freed. Peter gets this one right. Peter says, sons don't pay taxes, others do. And Jesus makes an interesting point. He says, well, then the sons are free, he says. What do you think Jesus is saying? What is this tax for? It's for the temple. Who is the king of the temple? The Lord God Almighty, the Father in glory. And if the Father is the king, Jesus is saying, Peter, we are sons. We're not obligated to pay that tax. Not only that, but here's another really interesting point. We start talking about the temple. Jesus surely, I mean, he surely has the foreknowledge to know that because of the work of the cross, which is right where he's going, the temple is about to become, and hear this, really irrelevant for God's people. Jesus was going to be the final offering. He is the unblemished lamb, the perfect sacrifice, which all these other sacrifices that were happening at the temple, they were pointing towards this. It was all, it was all foreshadowing what was going to happen at the cross. And, and when Jesus dies, the, the curtain on the temple would be, would be torn from top to bottom. And what's more, within just a single generation, the temple itself was going to be fully destroyed. 
So, you know, they, they come and they're like, we need you to pay a tax to, to take care of the temple. And, and the part of Jesus' thoughts got to be like, what for? Like, it's about, don't you know I'm going to be the final sacrifice? Like, we don't need to change the carpet this year. Like, like and, and don't you know that, like, within a generation, it's just going to be gone? So let me review. First, Jesus says that the sons of God are under no obligation to pay the temple tax. Secondly, Jesus knows that the temple is about to be irrelevant. It's probably not a great use of money because he himself is going to be that final atonement. And, and, and listen, here's my point. All this leading up to this, ready, right here. There are a lot of Christians who wish that this verse ended right here. It doesn't, but there are a lot of people who live like it does. If it ended right here, we could go around to the IRS and say, hey, buddy, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I'm a son of the king. Sons don't pay taxes. What I'm trying to show you, though, is that what I think Jesus is showing his disciples here is how to submit to authorities, even though, even though you belong to the family of the king. Uh, Jesus knows he is exempt from this tax. He, he knows it's not the best use of funds, but guess what? He decides to pay it anyway. And let's read that together, verse 27. That's what he says. However, not to give offense to them, isn't that interesting, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Uh, we can talk about the fish in a second. I want to talk first about why. why. Why pay the temple tax at all? This is what Jesus says. However, not to give offense to them. You see, Jesus, Jesus had submitted to every law that God had given to Israel, and he submits once again to God's commandment for men here. But there's something else at work. Jesus is, is hitting on a theme that we see repeated throughout Scripture. And the theme is this. You ready? Christians should not exercise their freedoms in Christ if it causes offense to others. You understand that? You see that elsewhere in Scripture. But I'm going to say it again lest you forget it. Christians should not exercise their freedoms in Christ if it causes an offense to others. Why do Christians try not to offend others? Well, there's a couple reasons, but one of them is very simple. It's found in many places, but, but clearly stated in Romans 12:18. Look at Romans 12:18. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. That's a great commandment of Scripture. In no way is it the will of God for you to go flaunting your status as children of God and causing conflict, right? That's, that's, that would not be his will. Like if Jesus said, hey, listen, uh, just go say to them, sorry, tax collectors, we're not paying your tax because we're royalty. Sorry, officer, I don't have to drive your speed limit because I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You see, part of the reason for respecting world authority is that the Christian is trying to live at peace with all. Really, it's, it, it's our call. Now, I'll say this. The principles apply to morally neutral matters, right? Uh, for Paul, and Paul talks about this later, right? He's, he says this, it, it, was, it was eating meat sacrificed to idols. Do you remember that, that story? Paul doesn't believe it's wrong to eat meat sacrificed to idols. He believes that there's, there's freedom in Christ However, if you remember the, how the story goes, there are some weaker brothers in the church 
And it really bothers them when Christians eat meat sacrificed to idols. And in this situation, Paul's instruction is, why not just for the sake of peace? Why don't you just not, meet, well, not eat that meat that's been sacrificed to idols? I mean, don't, just don't exercise your freedom for once. Because, listen, the truth is this. Peter knew this, or Paul knew this, excuse me. He knew that people were not betraying the Lord when they abstained. That in no way is sin. So, so in a way, it's morally neutral. So why not just, just do it? Just bring peace. The situation with Jesus paying the tax is the same. It's, it's morally neutral. So, so why exercise Christian freedom and refuse to pay? And so I think what's interesting here is, is where does Jesus get money from? The answer is miraculous. He tells Peter to go to the Sea of Galilee and to throw a hook into the water and the first fish that comes up, you'll look in its mouth and you'll find a shekel. And Jesus tells Peter, you take that shekel and you pay for, for your tax and you pay for mine. And remember, you think about the, the rates of exchange and initially in the Old Testament was a, a half shekel tax. So if he brings up a full shekel, he's got enough there to pay for both of them. And so here's the Here's a principle I think that's on display in this text. Jesus submits to the authorities of the day. In matters that are morally just or morally neutral for the sake of creating no offense. Uh, now, Scripture is not silent on the establishment of worldly authorities, is it? The principle that Jesus illustrates here, Paul later talks about in great details in Romans 13. He's going to talk about it much later. And I, I, so I want to expand on this idea of authorities. Look at Romans 13, 1 through 2 with me. This is what it says about our, your, and my responsibility to respect um, authorities and the governments. This is what it says. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by who? By God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what? Resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. It's what this is saying. Christians should, we should subject ourselves to governing authorities because ultimately every authority was instituted by God's sovereign plan. And, and listen, if, if you begin going around resisting these authorities in your life, what are, you ultimately, what, do you, what are you ultimately resisting? You're ultimately resisting God's plan. Because those authorities exist by his sovereign will. And that's exactly, this is not my idea. I just read to you from Romans 13. That's what it says. Well, no doubt, if I had to guess, some of you are thinking, well, when the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these sacred words, they could have never anticipated a government as wicked as ours, right? They could have never imagined that. They could, they could never have anticipated the, the moral corruption of our current leadership. And to, to that I would say to you this. Do you think Rome was righteous? Do you really? Do you really think Romans 13 is describing some righteous government regime? No, it's describing flawed, sinful people that God is using to order society. So it's not a good excuse for you to say, I reject the authorities in my life because they are immoral. You can't do it. There is only one situation where the Bible seems to counsel us on the appropriateness of resisting authorities in our lives. 
We, we find it in, in Acts 4. And Peter and John, they're, they're arrested for preaching the gospel. And, and what do the authorities charge them to do? To not speak or to teach or not teach in the name of Jesus, which is exactly the opposite of what Jesus has sent them to do. They find themselves that they have a problem. The, the, the authority of Jesus says go preach the gospel. The authority over them, the authority of the government, the men are saying not to. And look, look at the response, Acts 4, 19 through 20. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. The only time that, that, that Scripture advises Christians to resist authorities is when these authorities ask, ask us to act contrary to the word of God. You have to, you have to wonder, like, like here's Peter. He's learning at the feet of Jesus he goes and gets that coin. It's just an amazing story. And you have to wonder, like, okay, so maybe I'm wrong in how I'm exegeting what happens in, in, in the story of, of Jesus paying the tax. But you have to wonder, how did Peter begin to understand and learn from Jesus about, about the way we should respond to authorities? And, and what I want to show you is that um, Peter later wrote about this uh, in First Peter 2. And look at what he came to think about authorities. First uh, Peter two thirteen through seventeen. That's what he says. Be subject to the Lord's uh, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. And, and, I, and I catch this last part: that by doing so. You should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Did you hear that? It's our obedience to authority, and that's really important here. Our obedience to authority silence foolish people. Now here's the logic. A long time ago, people said that Christians were very horrible people. They, the rumor was that Christians drank blood and ate flesh, these were the rumors that some people really didn't understand when they heard about the Lord's Supper, right? They, they heard about the Lord's Supper, they're like, I don't know. I know they greet each other with holy kisses. I know that they drink blood and eat flesh. They're horrible people. And however, Christians knew that they had the gospel message. They, they, they had it. They had within themselves the words of life that the world needed. And, and they were charged to take that message to the nations, but the nations didn't want to hear what they said. Why? Because they thought they were terrible people. And the counsel of Scripture is the way to silence those ignorant, foolish people who think that we drink blood and eat flesh is to obey the laws of the land. Pay your taxes. Like, return your library books. Respect your leaders. Respect the police. Be subject to authorities because this will silence foolish people. And it will give you an opportunity to witness to the nations. Now, here's my point. I'll say this and we're done. It won't be long in this country until Christians are viewed once again as bad people. And, and it may actually have already happened. I don't think we're there yet in, in the state of Mississippi, but I do think in a lot of places of the world when people found out that you're a Christian. I remember um, seeing a politician the other day telling a man that he was unfit for office because he was a Christian. 
We had a long season of being viewed as good and moral people, but I think that season might be coming to an end unless something changes. And we're going to find that our values are once again in conflict with the world. And, and since, since people are mean, I think that once again we're going we're to have a need to silence ignorant people who say horrible things about us. And I believe that the, the call of Scripture once again in our lives is to silence foolish people by our willingness to submit to authorities in our lives. We, we do this so that we don't cause needless offense. We do this so that we can live at peace with all people. Christ illustrated this. He, he was entitled. He had freedom to not pay that tax. But he did so. Peter learned from it. He learned the idea of submitting to authorities. Paul talked about the ideas of, of submitting to authorities. So the call of Christ upon us this morning that I have for you is to uh, be an imitator of Christ, take the, the, the advice of Scripture, and uh, subject yourself to the authorities in your life. Friends, this has been uh, Matthew 17, 22 through 27. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together this morning. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that we can live by it, order our lives by it. Um, Father, where we have um, taken liberties to reject authorities um, and in, in so doing rejected you, Father, we repent and we ask for ways to fall back in line with, uh, with God, what, what you've instituted. Um, God, do give us a voice to the nations. We thank you for this event that's coming up with Ron Horgan where we can study evangelism and learn how to share the gospel with our community. I do pray for, for opportunities as a church to share the gospel with our neighbors. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all the church said, amen.